Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Never was anything great achieved without danger. Niccolo Machiavelli. We saw crocodiles. Chris went to uh, swim in the, because in the Lake Tanganyika there are crocodiles and Against there the were warning. signs, don't swim there, but Chris is like, well, I'm but dirty I had from snake hiking. eyes with me, so I was like, snake eyes, keep an eye, <laughs> keep an eye on crocodiles. Like half an hour later, we did see a crocodile there. And then we saw hippos, like massive, massive yeah. hippos, they're crazy. They're and a bit angry. Wild hogs. Snakes during the hike we didn't see, I think, no. but in before the project, that we saw. Yeah, there were some rock, African rock python, I think it's called. Yeah, it's like biggest python in the world. Three meter long snake, huge, so powerful. Like mm. when you lift it, it's so dense, like it's just one muscle, mm. crazy. I'm Doc, and this is the John Freaking Muir Pod. Welcome to the John Freakin' Muir Pod. Lace up those boots and sling on the pack for a romp through trails, short and long. With your host and renaissance man, Doc, it's time to embrace the suck. Welcome back to another week on the trail. I'm Doc, and this is the John Freakin' Muir Pod. Let's start off with a reminder. If you are enjoying the podcast, take just a minute. Help us out. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you're not enjoying the pod, well, just go ahead and keep that to yourself. 
All right, let's get to this week's guests, another adventuring couple who, in addition to doing some long trail through hiking, have also had some other incredible adventures. Welcome to the John Freaking Muir Pod, Stina and Christian. Hello. <laughs> now, it, it is morning where I am in Southern California, but it is not morning where you guys are. Tell us, tell us where you are. We are in Estonia. It's uh, northern slash eastern Europe. Uh, yeah. Our neighbor to the east is Russia, so we are holding tight here. And then, uh, yeah, to the north is uh, uh, Finland, and yeah, we are from the Baltics, pretty much. That's maybe most people would know. Yeah, and it's the evening here, so yeah. we have just had a full day of well working, even though it's Sunday. But yeah. yeah, and even though we are here, we don't really have home. We are homeless for the last five years five years and uh, yeah we are at stina's dad's uh, sauna house currently. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> okay you, you've been you've been homeless for the last five years and i think we're going to talk about that in a little bit sure <laughs> now stina you are from estonia christian you are not from estonia you are from the uh the neighboring country to the south yeah i'm from latvia from riga so yeah we actually I don't know if I should say it now, but met in Denmark, uh, weirdly enough, when we were studying uh, mechanical engineering. Yeah, so we'll, that was 10 years ago when we did that. Okay, very good. I, I'm Danish, actually, so I've never been to Denmark, but... Uh, <laughs> yeah, I thought that when you said your last name, I was like, should I ask? <laughs> we lived there for six years, so... Stina is almost fluent in Danish and I mm-hmm. speak a little bit. So. <laughs> okay. Wanna... Lots of good climbing in the, in the Baltics? Not at all. We have no mountains. We have some cliffs, but it's like um, sandstone, so it doesn't hold anything. So, yeah, the highest point in the Baltics is in Estonia and it's 360 meters. So that's... That's nothing yeah. compared to what you guys have there. So There's like one or two boulders, I think, in our country. Yeah, some boulders. <laughs> we don't like bouldering that much. Yeah. It's actually picked up climbing in Denmark in the gym. Okay. Now, are there also, are there any good hiking trails in, in the Baltics? A lot of good hiking opportunities? Yeah, but it's, it's um, you know, you can't compare really to mountain hiking. It's a lot of forest hiking. What's unique here is definitely that we have bogs, like um, kind of like swamps, but the government has made a lot of these cool uh, elevated trails that you can use. And, and there are also long distance trails that they put together, but some bits of it are still road walking. So it's maybe not the kind of a wilderness experience that you would get in in US or or in some other countries but yeah and and it's very popular and definitely supported and there's a lot of infrastructure like huts and shelters and uh, campsites and things like that so great fantastic yeah. now i know you you guys have spent some time on a, on a long trail PCT um we, there is a unique American tradition of handing out trail names on, on long trails. Did you guys come by a, a trail name while you were out there? We did. Okay, I can't <laughs> so, wait to hear. Uh, what, are the, what are the trail names? I think uh, it makes more sense if I tell my story first. Okay. Because before the PCT, we were in Central America and we were taking this course in the jungle to become expedition leaders. And in the jungle, of course, there's a lot of snakes. And for some reason, my eyes really pick up their um, camouflaged uh, 
bodies and also when the snakes are moving. So the people from our group started to call me snake guys. Like, yeah. And and yeah, once we got on the trail, I think on like day two or three, there was this super tiny snake that I spotted. And then Chris was like, okay, like you have proved that even on trail, you still keep spotting the snakes. So yeah, we just kept that one. Snake eyes. Yeah, yeah. Chris's yeah story we were going in too. a group and like everyone would step over the snake and then Stino was like, hey guys, there was a snake. I was like, oh, <laughs> good eyes. <laughs> And right, well, yeah, then my my trail name kind of came from a bit after, right after the jungle, we had about a month between the course and the PCT where we were spending it in Mexico. And then, uh, yeah, on trail, when we started the PCT, like on first week, we met this guy, Broken Arrow, it was like 76 year old guy, like really cool. And uh, he kind of asked, what were we up to before? And then we told that, yeah, we just came from Mexico. And he was like, hmm, so you brought her from Mexico? You must be coyote. So, uh, <laughs> so yeah, like a common trail name. There are many coyotes on PCT, but not the uh, coyote as a... Smuggler. As an animal. Right, right. <laughs> different. So that was just funny. So then no one... I didn't mess up, so I didn't get a different name. So I stuck with that. <laughs> okay. And I know it's it's Christian with a K. Is it Coyote with a K? It can be. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it's how how you call them in South, in California. I don't know. <laughs> okay. And another another question: Broken Arrow. He was seventy six when he was younger. Was he just Arrow? <laughs> well, he didn't look broken, so I think it's he because actually tough. he 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 had a very interesting story himself. He was writing a book on how all the wolves were hunted um, in the U.S. And how there's like the effort to trying to bring mm-hmm. them back, you know, in Yellowstone and so on. Right. And he had been traveling a lot in um, native areas and was picking up these arrowheads and things. So I think because he also gave us one arrowhead as a kind of mm. mem- memory yeah, item. So had some cool stories. <laughs> how he Maybe. was hiding from the wolves under the rocks and had sprayed himself with the anti, like the masking, so they couldn't smell him out. And it was yeah. like, <laughs> well. He smelled like so, the rest of them. Yeah. <laughs> wolf, wolf scent. Yeah. The wolf. yeah. Mm-hmm. And c- congratulations, Snake Eyes and Coyote, because this is the first interview that we've done from a sauna room. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we should have actually been in the sauna. Have you been to sauna? Uh, no, not, not very frequently. All right. You have to come well, visit. <laughs> here is proper sauna. So, yeah, I don't know the degrees in Fahrenheit, but it's not the kind that you get in a spa, you know, that's the, it's the one where you're burning. And you 100 degrees Celsius is like normal. <laughs> yeah. Ouch. Ouch. Okay. Yeah. We so- actually had an American friend with us in sauna and he, yeah, he adjusted fast, <laughs> but it, it is a strange experience for people who are not used to it. So Did he survive? Yeah. 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 Okay. All right. Very good. Hey, uh, Snake Eyes and Coyote, have you listened to the podcast before? Few episodes, yeah. Months. I I li- really like the one with Elena Osborn because I'm a I'm a huge fan of of her work. So yeah, she's incredible. She's incredible. Mm-hmm. And we're going to re-air that episode uh, next week, I believe, as part of Women's History Month here in the United States. So uh, taking nice. that opportunity to highlight some of the amazing women that I've interviewed over the past uh, couple of years. So. Hey, I only ask if you've listened to the podcast because I want to make sure that you are aware of a segment towards the end called the Pro Tip Inside of the Week. And that's where I will turn to you 
and ask you for some trail wisdom that you can share with our listeners to make their next outdoor experience even better. And I love when I have a duo on the podcast, because that means we get two pro tips for the price of one. So each, each one of you will be expected to give, give out some trail wisdom at the end of the episode. Cool. That's right. we'll okay. You can give out trail wisdom throughout the episode if you like, but you'll still be on the hook at the end to give out uh, the, the official pro tip. They are full of wisdom. Okay, good. good. That's what I hear about the Baltics. Lots of wisdom. And pretty uh, women. Yes. Okay. <laughs> the must bring gear review. All right. Hey, another feature we've been doing this season is the must bring gear review sponsored by the ultralight backpacking gear company, Outdoor Vitals. And here's how it works. If you were to let a stranger pack your bag with pretty much generic gear for a multi-day hike, what is the one specific piece of gear you would insist on being packed? And if you've got a particular brand for that specific piece of gear, even better. So guys, what is your must bring piece of gear? And I, we, I get one from each of you. So, Okay. So it's a bit of a tricky question because it says if you can let someone pack your bag. So question is, can it be the bag itself? Oh, absolutely. Yes. All right. So definitely for me, it would be the bag. I don't know if for Chris as well, but uh, we bought new backpacks, ultralight bags from this guy, actually from Denmark. He's, um, I think he's now a two-man operation, but he's a true hiker himself and what is really cool about it is the fact that it's made here in Europe. For for us, it's quite difficult, you know, to get stuff from CPACs or um, uh, what are the other ones? Enlightened equipment and so on, like right. because of the import taxes and it takes a long time. And anyway, all of those UL things, they take so long. So it's really cool that there are now popping up a lot of small companies in Europe. So the company I'm talking about is called Blind Banana Bags. And he makes uh, custom backpacks. You can choose colors and sizes and also, I think, baby bags. But yeah, we recently used these bags in our um, section hike of the Greater Patagonian Trail in Chile. And trust me, we did so much bushwhacking and river crossings. And like we just put these guys through like hell. And they just, I don't think anything ripped or punctured or anything there. Just super yeah. solid things. Was, so was impressive. Osprey would have ripped for sure. <laughs> nice, nice. What, what yeah. was the what, what's the capacity of the bag that you have? I you can choose. Yeah, you can so. choose what you want. But I had forty liters, and Chris had forty five. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think they are just about six hundred fifty grams. So I'm not sure what that is in in your strange measurements but it's but. like fully custom so like it really depends like very when you put strings here or there so you can yeah. customize down to the last detail everything so it's pretty yeah cool. our american listeners you know we have a, we have listeners all over the world but our american listeners I want you to pause right now i want you to find your resource for converting from the from the uh the imperial system to the metric system because we're talking to some european uh, guests here, and we are the only, we're basically the only people on the planet who who use miles and pounds and that kind of stuff. So, uh, it, it, totally okay to use kilometers and grams and uh, the whole metric system. We'll, we'll, we'll convert it on our own over here. So, thank you. I think we've well, definitely adjusted to miles because yeah. on PCT you kind of get used to miles, but miles uh, other pounds. units. Not it's really. not that difficult, but yeah, makes no sense. But if you if you have to use, it, <laughs> you can. <laughs> yeah, just just ask Google. It'll be okay. Yeah. Okay. What about you? I'd say the puffy. It's a must. The, I had the 
since PCT and I still use it. It's the Ghost Whisperer the, from the Mountain Hardware. It's just... Uh, yeah, it's held up super well. Yeah, like when I first touched it, I thought, oh, this is going to rip in a few weeks, but uh, <laughs> it's still it's still holding up. And uh, yeah, that's pretty much first thing you put all, on always after. Yeah, after a good a, yeah. a good puffy is a must for any any through hiker. Yeah, you have to have that uh, that layer. Yeah. Love my puffy. Yeah. You guys have any luxury items that you bring or do you guys go strictly ultralight? Chris has. Uh, I have pillow, yeah. Like I wouldn't say we are like ultra light. We are light, but not <laughs> ultra light. So yeah, like when I did PCT, I had a 88 liter Osprey pack, which on average weighed about 40 pounds. So. <laughs> but that was in the beginning. Yeah. So yeah, because right. I my my mentality was different. I was like, I don't care about carrying weights. I was just like taking whatever I want and just would you know <laughs> suffer through. And he was still the fastest guy on trail. Like <laughs> even when we were with these UL guys with like I don't know three pound bags or something. You know, like ob- crazy obscene light bags, and he was just like crushing it. But it was definitely a learning lesson. And what's What's really interesting, especially back in 28 or 2017, before we did the PCT, this whole UL movement hadn't even reached uh, Europe. So we, even though we like read for preparing for the hike, it's kind of like you don't take it seriously. You're like, yeah, some people say you should go UL, UL, but here it's like, it's just not how hiking is understood. It's the kind of mental image of a hiker is still these old leather boots and massive backpacks. So it definitely took some adjusting to, to get there. But right. over the years, we've adjusted a lot. So Yeah, like once you try going with lighter pack and you still survive, then you're like, oh, maybe it's actually nicer for my knees and <laughs> body. Yeah, there's a, there's a balance between, you know, what, what you absolutely must bring um, and also, you know, creature comforts and am I going to be comfortable out there? Is it going to be okay? And, and also the, the weight. And it's, it's always funny to hear about, um, people first getting on trail and what, what they think they need and, and all of the weight that they bring, uh, as opposed to, you know, a month later, you know, what, what they have, what they have discarded and, and kind of adjusted with their packs. I think it's good to start heavy because also we- UL gear costs a lot, so you don't want to invest a lot in it in the beginning if you don't know if you're even going to like hiking or who knows. Right. So once you kind of figured out your, yourself, then probably it's good. good to, yeah. yeah, I've got a perfect story for this. And my listeners, longtime listeners will have heard this story a couple of times, so please bear with me. But this, the perfect story for this is uh, we had ginger balls on, on an episode, uh, and he, he was a retired Navy veteran who decided he wanted to do some long trail hiking. He was going to hike the AT. And so being from the Navy, he was very prepared. He had three of everything in case the first two got lost or broke or whatever. So he showed up to Springer Mountain uh, in Georgia with just this huge, huge pack, 40, 50 pounds. Um, And he meets on the first day, he meets another guy who is 21 years old and unbeknownst to ginger balls, scrapbook the 21 year old he is showing up to do the at this will be his third uh long trail this will be his triple crown and he has he has like a 12 pound pack and the funniest image in my mind is the two of them standing there looking at each other and they have both told me that they were thinking that oh this guy is not going to make it 
This guy doesn't, <laughs> this guy doesn't know what he's doing. And so uh, Ginger Balls, he, he learned, he learned he didn't need three of everything and he kind of adjusted and, and dialed in his pack. So it's, it's more uh, closely resembling a uh, scrapbooks pack these days. So, but funny, funny yeah. image in my mind. I think also what is really interesting to note, notice while you're hiking or to know before you start hiking is that your level of comfort will change. So what you consider now something that you definitely cannot manage without, whether it's a pillow or, I don't know, coffee pot or whatever these things are, these things change definitely. So you might start out one way with a big bag and then you totally adjust and a few months later you're like wow like I absolutely do not miss this item or or I can use a functionality of something else to do the same job so right the dolphin is to like be lazy packer and just forget something and then you go out and then like oh I forgot this and that but then you still come back alive so like well I guess I didn't need it (laughs) lesson learned that's right now coyote you said that your your luxury item is a pillow as opposed to a stuff sack with uh, dirty clothes and, and such, right? Or a, or a puffy. Um, Snake Eyes, do you have a luxury item that you like to bring? I, I claim that I don't, but maybe if you were to really research, then maybe, I don't know, like um, lip balm or something. I mean, I guess you can uh, survive without it, but it's kind of nice to have sometimes. Snake Eyes is more, more hardcore. Yeah, she can just cover herself with branch in the mud and it's fine. <laughs> I try. So just, just, you know, talking about those luxury items, lip balm, possibly, possibly, and a, and a pillow. I'm, I'm imagining that neither of you carries a chair with you, an ultralight chair. No, I there's plenty, to. plenty of logs, plenty of logs or bear canisters to sit on. Right. Yeah. Well, bear can was definitely a very PCT specific experience for us. Mm-hmm. We never had that before. But yeah, usually it's on the ground. You put maybe uh, this small mat underneath or jacket mm-hmm. or rain cover. We often use the backpack mm-hmm. rain cover or just on a log if it's nice and dry. And mm-hmm. yeah. Coyote, Coyote, you can be honest with me. Does Snake Eyes, does she break her, her toothbrush in half? Or does she drill holes in the handle of her yeah. toothbrush, get rid of the ground? Yeah. <laughs> well, she she cuts. Well, actually, I cut it for her. And I asked <laughs> how short she wants it. Because this time. I also cut mine, but not as short as hers, because I don't like my fingers in mouth and I brush No, mine. he has a bigger <laughs> hand. That's that yeah. coyote right there. That's your luxury item. A slightly longer toothbrush than snake eyes. <laughs> so, you, so you don't get your fingers in your mouth. <laughs> Fantastic. Exactly. All right. Hey, we're going to talk about gear a little bit more um, with this next section. I, I like to call it uh, the hiking pole. It's the hiking pole. And hiking pole is not spelled P-O-L-E, like the, the ones you carry in your hands. It's P-O-L-L, like a survey. And I make sure I explain it every time because my, my occasional co-host Chopper just really gets a kick out of the fact that I explain it and there's never any kind of reaction from, from my guests about that. But I thought it was pretty clever. So you don't have to agree with them. That's okay. Uh, so I'm going to ask you seven questions. It's going to help me put you on uh, somewhere on the crazy scale from one to a hundred with 100 being completely sane and one being completely crazy. Okay. And I have to well, let you know, subjective. Oh, it's totally subjective. It's up to me. It's up to me. This is all me. So uh, I have to let you know, right off the bat, you have each lost 20 points because you guys are long trail through hikers. You've hiked the PCT. You have to be a little bit crazy for that automatic 20 point deduction. So don't be, don't be offended by that. Okay. Well, we didn't know what we were getting into when we started, but okay. Okay. 
with the podcast or with a PCT? Oh, you have to be crazy. <laughs> with the PCT. <laughs> okay. Like we didn't know it. We didn't know we were crazy when we started. It was just. That is a hallmark yeah. of being crazy is you, you are not aware that you're crazy. That's like part of the yeah. definition. Fair enough. Yeah. Okay. So first question, easy. Trekking poles or no trekking poles? Trekking poles. Okay. Because we wanna Definitely. we are in this long term, so we would like to hike also after we reach 60, 70, and 80 and more years old. Yeah. So we gotta save our knees for all those steep downhills. I definitely used to think it's old people thing, but mm. I adjusted very fast on the PCT. I started with a hiker box hiking pole and then found another one. So also helps with the with the rhythm and on the uphill and often we tend to hike in places where there is no trail so like having extra points of balance when you when the rock tips and you fall then it's it's but i have to mention that chris is legendary with the amount of hiking poles he has broken so no, oftentimes he goes with a stick because it just doesn't break as much so yeah. and yeah well when we were in armenia i broke uh, on day two and you couldn't buy hiking poles in Armenia or get them. So we, I hiked for a month just with a stick. And then he broke the stick and then the next stick as yeah. well. Hiking poles are, push are with dog. <laughs> hiking poles are not a big seller in Armenia. Hiking isn't a big seller in Armenia. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Only and, in the capital, I think. And you brought up, you want to be able to do this when you're older. So you don't want to be broken coyote and broken snake eyes. So that's good reason to use, use the trekking yeah. poles. Good. Also, like they help with fight, like not fighting, but like the way I break them often is when either someone dog attacks or something. So I try to hit it to not the dog, but the ground, <coughs> the ground to kind of scare him. And also, yeah, it helps to keep distance because again, when we were hiking in Armenia, there are a lot of shepherd dogs, the angry Caucasian shepherds, and they were insane and they would just run on you, like you know, foam coming out of the mouth. So you kind of the Paul helps you keep at least this meter of distance instead of having dog uh, right right at you. So yeah, it's kind of for defense as well. Multi-purpose and for the tent, of course. So. I am. Our tent needs hiking poles as well. You know, I think there's 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 obviously a story here, and I can't wait to hear about it later. Uh, you fending <laughs> off uh, dogs on the trail. So. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Next question: Boots or trail runners? Trail runners. <laughs> okay. All right. And yeah, I have a, when we started hiking in the very beginning, when we still lived in Denmark, then of course we bought these massive leather boots. And I think on hike one, I had blue, blue toenails. So never, never anymore after that. Yeah. Blue toenail is not a good sign. That's, no. that's usually an indication that something is wrong. It's not my color either. So. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a, a particular brand of trail runner you prefer? Ultra for me, for sure. I have very picky feet. I'm very prone to blisters and ultras are the only ones where I don't get, but crystal, mm -hmm. crystal. Yeah. I, could, I could go in a wooden <laughs> shoes if I had to, but like yeah. my first uh, trail runners before PCT, we didn't really have. So I bought just in, in Mexico in some shop like this Adidas and we didn't know how to size them. So they were sized exactly, so my toes at some point just started sticking out, but like I never had any blister, even though there was clearly like a lot of rubbing. I don't know, my feet somehow can just, yeah, just put whatever on them and it's going to be funny. <laughs> but funny story with those Adidas is that um, he had ordered a new pair from Amazon to, um, what's it called, Grumpy Bears? 
mm-hmm. in, on the PCT right before the Sierras, but they didn't arrive on time. So he had to continue into the Sierras with the shoes with the hold. And he climbed Mount Whitney <laughs> with his toes out of the shoes. With shoe. his toes sticking out. Nice. <laughs> and Coyote, did I hear you correctly that you, you said you could, you could hike in wooden clogs? I think so. I haven't tried. But he like, never has blisters. I don't know. So it's like, well, if, if you hike with wooden clogs, don't forget to drill holes in them, right? To save the grams. You know, a pound on the foot is like five on the back. So, so they say. <laughs> so they say. <laughs> All right. So far, so good. All right. Your preferred uh, shelter system, tent, tarp, hammock, or cowboy camping? I think preferred this tent, but we haven't really tried tarp. Hammock is nice, but you need trees for hammock, so it's you can't really use it in the mountains that much. And I think it takes longer time to get used to the hammock. I've definitely had some of the best sleep in my life in a hammock when we lived in the jungle, but it's just because your body gets so used to it. And yeah, but yeah, it's it's very specific for summer temperatures, I'd say, because otherwise you're going to need the under quilt and so on. Mm-hmm. So tent is just easier and more, uh, has more functionality in different terrain and, and weather. So and with yeah. bugs and with wind and yeah, yeah I just mm-hmm. think. Yeah, it's amazing that you know, I've had some of the best naps ever in a hammock, but I, I can't sleep overnight in a hammock. Mm. Why? I, I don't know. I found often that you have uh, to try more. <laughs> yeah, uh, for me the problem was often that the head would like you know once the muscles relax in the neck the head starts to like um, fall to the side. Mm-hmm. So what really helps is that um, U-shaped pillow that you use on the airplane, so it keeps your head nicely in the middle, and then it's really really. Also nice. depends on hammock. If you use like the regular kind of sack, then it's I don't think that comfortable but we use this like asymmetric hammocks so you can actually sleep on your side and kind of be really straight so those were great but it yeah it takes like it takes know, getting a used week to, yeah. or something sleeping to like get used to it now careful it's snake eyes that was I said, care, careful snake eyes that was almost a pro tip right there the the u-shaped neck pillow when you're sleeping in a hammock that's a, a good pro tip right yeah. there yeah okay there you go this next question is very important. Big deduction if you answer incorrectly here. So uh, do you guys prefer stove, cold soak, or stoveless? Depends on the yeah, weather, I, I would say. say. prefer stove, but uh, yeah, when we hike in summer conditions, like when we know that it's not going to be really that cold, then we cold soak. Yeah. So <laughs> it's very seasonal so, for us. Like, for example, when we hiked in Pyrenees, across Pyrenees, uh, mm-hmm. And then we cold soaked, even yeah. though there were a few cold mornings, but uh, yeah, it's just to save it because there was so much ascent that you also of... depends on the country, I think, because you can't really expect in every single country to have couscous and, and oats and things all the time, so or gas, yeah, yeah, again, yeah, in some countries you just can't buy gas, so you would have to have the heavier what is it, omni fuel or multi fuel mm-hmm. stove, so. Maybe then cold soaking is better. So. I think stove is nice. Like, especially if it's cold, it's like great morale boost that at least mm-hmm. when you are freezing and pushing through hard terrain, then you know that at least there's going to be warm meal in the end waiting. So, now this 50, is not, okay. So, this is not part of the hiking, the hiking pool, but uh, what, what is your best, what is your preferred cold soak meal? I think actually I have a good one. Um, so, for me, it's the breakfast. 
But what I do is I mix into my oats the previous night before a little bit of instant coffee and then raisins, just a little bit of sugar and cinnamon. And then by the morning, of course, the raisins get um, soft, but also the kind of sweet coffee foam almost. It turns into foam and it gets to the top of the oats. And then it's kind of like this super fancy dessert. And I don't know, it's just the bitterness of coffee with the sweetness of raisins and a bit of sugar. It's really... And for those that really need, like it. need their coffee, then you just eat it in the morning. Yeah, instead of- yeah coffee and oatmeal. That, that sounds pretty good, actually. Mm. Yeah, you should try it. it but don't, don't overkill with the coffee. Just a little bit to okay. get the flavor. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. For me, I think it's noodles. Yeah, noodles. just noodles. <laughs> noodles. I love noodles. Cold soaked noodles. Yeah. Yeah, and we often uh, add the uh, soy chunks. You know, the soy protein is mm-hmm. nutritious, and it can take whatever flavor, bouillon cube, or whatever herbs and spices you add. So, yeah, and it's super light, so okay. works good. All right. Next question: Life is better above or below the tree line? think above i think above yeah more epic views then again depends <laughs> if it's scorching hot sometimes can be then like there is no shade so then sometimes you true you really miss the shade and bugs tend to be less above the tree line yeah i think also above because it's just bigger adventure i think for me personally at mm-hmm. least and and you just you get the feeling of being more away from everything because people just haven't civilized the, the mountains yet most mm-hmm. most most locations so it just creates a better atmosphere for an adventure i think okay now the three long trails in america the at the cdt and the pct all run north to south or south to north and so the last question in the hiking poll is should those long trails be hiked northbound or southbound I think northbound, but yeah, it feels feels somehow more right to do the north, but mm. I guess. But we did the the trail in Chile southbound, or well, that is section meant, meant to be southbound. Yeah, but does, I think but it's also southern hemisphere. Yeah, so I was going to ask: is it does it change your perspective <laughs> if it's southern hemisphere? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's true, actually. Yeah. So if you were to flip yeah. it, the seasons and and the trail to north, then that would be northbound. So yeah, northbound. This sounds like a very scientific answer. That's that's good. That's good. <laughs> we All are right. engineers, so that's right. That's right. So let me do some quick calculations here. Let me uh, let me divide by three. Gonna multiply by pi. Carry the two and a solid 73. 73 for each of you. So congratulations. You're you're mostly sane. <laughs> okay, that's a boring answer, but okay, I'll take it. So we have some work to do to get down to 50. Did you think that's right? (laughs) Now, if you're in the Southern hemisphere, you'd be working to get back up towards a hundred, but you know, that's true. Yeah. Right. That's how it works. Okay. Hey, before we get too far down the trail, let's back up a little bit. Uh, We've heard a little bit about your background, but let's, let's talk about where you grew up. If you guys were involved in sports or hobbies growing up and how you got involved in through hiking. So who wants to go first? I can go. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So I grew up in the city, but on like a kind of outside a bit of the city. So it was felt like countryside, but even though I was still in capital, they were just uh, 
every day go out with friends and make trouble in other people's garden other people's gardens <laughs> so kind of li- like to yeah spend a, a lot of time outdoors and there were no computers back in the day so you kind of that was your only entertainment go outside and, and make trouble for for the for the childhood but yeah. And so that that's okay. how you that's how you got involved in the outdoor adventure life is uh, well, okay. playing in other like people's gardens. I forgot the question. No, no, no. I thought you would then say about your childhood. But okay, like the way well, we kind of got together in it because we were both working office job, and it was yeah, you get total about four or five weeks out a year of holiday. So we were not happy with that, and we thought of how to reverse the. <laughs> the proportions of yeah spending most of the time outdoors so then we well, i guess i'll just tell the whole story then we <laughs> quit our jobs to and yeah we took that course in the jungle to become expedition leaders because technically when you finish the the course they offer you a job but right after we had the trail planned the pct so we never actually took the job and sort of just continued on yeah, figuring things out and hiking and more adventure and gaining experience. And yeah, I guess we will talk about that a bit more. Yeah. Because it, it's all so interconnected, but uh, yeah. How about you, Snake Eyes? <laughs> um, I mean, it's really difficult to try and pinpoint where we got the, the hiking bug. We've asked that from ourselves as well. But yeah, I would say I wasn't super outdoorsy. Maybe as a little kid, but... Once you're a teenager, you're like, you know, no one cares about the nature. You want to party and have fun. But then, yeah, in Denmark, we we started first. We just started traveling, you know, to big cities like Rome and Paris and stuff. And and we always took this challenge. I think that is kind of where it started that we always took this challenge to only use our feet, no public transport. So we would spend a few days in Rome and walk like 100 kilometers or something just to see everything. And maybe that's why we started to like walking so much. And, and also because we noticed that all the cities, they look exactly the same wherever you go. So we started to look more into nature where we traveled. And then nature became mountains. And then instead of staying in hotels, we started to hike around and then longer hikes and more adventure. And, and we always like to say that whenever we came back from our holidays, we needed a holiday because... <laughs> Our holidays were always so tough, like just really exhausting um, physically. Yeah, actually, our first like uh, big trips were on bicycles. We were cycling in Some, Europe, yeah. like a few thousand kilometer cycling trips. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and camping. Yeah. Now, you, you have shared that you, you guys met in Denmark while you guys were studying to become mechanical engineers. And we've also heard that you quit your jobs and that you uh, took this exp- this course to be expedition leader, but you didn't take that job. So how are you currently paying the bills and financing your adventures? Uh, so I would uh, say the best word to describe it is hustle. <laughs> so um, I, I do often translation and editing between English and Estonian and back. Um, so that... It doesn't pay a lot, but it's really flexible. So that suits me really well. Then we have built a camper van and sold it. Then we renovated our friend's uh, caravan. So we got a little bit from that work. Uh, and two times we worked seasonally in Switzerland mm-hmm. in, a, in a ski resort. So 
I don't know what else the, there is. The just... trick is not to not to make bills. <laughs> yeah. Be homeless then. <laughs> yeah, it is true. Spend it's, little. It's like the 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 ultralight version of of living, right? Pretty much. Pretty much. Yeah. I think in many ways we are quite minimalist, but of course, I'd say our biggest expenses are you know gear items because we're definitely very addicted to hiking, and of course travel costs. But whenever we travel to a country, we try to only move around on foot again, or just with hitchhiking or cheap public transportation. So just cut costs wherever possible. Yeah, camp. Don't stay in hotels. Mm-hmm. If yeah. you have to resupply, then plan it so that you enter the town, in the be in a town, and then leave the town in the evening. So you don't yeah. because yeah, every hour you spend in town, it's like there is some probably equation with how much money you're gonna leave there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Smart. But uh, a more recent development is also well, maybe it kind of ties to what we talked about before that we quit our jobs. Our goal when we did that was to spend more time outdoors and hopefully do that as professionals as mountain guides at some point which is why we started with that course mm-hmm. and over time that has led to taking a mountain leader course and now this year we're doing international mountain leader course so last year i started a guiding company where i have five co-guides who are also only women and we only guide women so yeah, so that is a little bit of uh, extra income and, and also to use all the knowledge and experience we have gained. And, and Chris is my uh, manager. <laughs> he helps me with all of the arrangements and transportation and, and things like that. And we have also guided some stuff together. And yeah. <clears throat> and Chris is hopefully working towards maybe more of a mountaineering guide in the future. It's a very long process because it's just crazy expensive and time consuming gather, mm-hmm. just gathering all the experience and the skills so plus like we always go on three four month trips to hike so then there's <laughs> even though it goes for experience like not uh, maybe yeah not the paper <laughs> so hopefully right. it all pays off one day okay uh snake eyes i'm going to test your translation skills because what i like you to tell our listeners is that we're going to take a quick break and when we come back We're going to hear about some adventures by Coyote and Snake Eyes. Go ahead. In Estonian, please. I don't even remember the whole sentence. Uh, All right. Head kuule, et me teeme nüüd ühe pausi ja kui me tuleme tagasi, siis kuulema veel rohkem seikrus Istinalt ja Kristjan Silt, kelle rajanimed on Coyote ja Maasilmad. All right. I'll trust you on that one. We'll be right back. (laughs) From the backcountry to the backyard, we believe everyone deserves the highest level of protection. Since 1984, Sawyer Products offers the best, most technologically advanced solutions for protection against sun, bugs, and water, using time-released liposome technology, topical insect repellents, and new standards in water filtration. And with every Sawyer product you buy, you are helping to provide clean water through 140 charities in 80 countries with their long-lasting water filters. Every Sawyer product you buy is an investment in our common humanity. Choose Sawyer and keep the adventure going, knowing that their products have been tested and chosen by those who count on serious protection on the trail all day long.
The John Freakin' Muir Pod is sponsored by Outdoor Vitals, the ultralight backpacking gear company whose mission is to improve the mental, physical, and emotional health of mankind by facilitating impactful outdoor experiences. Outdoor Vitals creates innovative technical products with confidence inspiring education that empower outdoor ultralight adventurers. Their focus on performance enables you to live ultralight with gear you can actually be confident with. Whether you're looking for an ultralight sleep system, shelter, or pack, or if you're looking for top quality apparel for the trail, you can find it at Outdoor Vitals. Do yourself a favor. Live ultra light. Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere, and even earn money. All in one place, for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Since I discovered Spotify for Podcasters, I feel like... My creativity has raised to another level. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com backslash podcasters to get started. And welcome back. We're talking to Snake Eyes and Coyote. We've heard about uh, some of their uh, past and growing up and meeting. And now we want to talk about some adventures. And so... I know that uh, from our, our discussion points that we covered earlier uh, and, and talked about prior to the episode uh, recording here, you've done some running, you know, some marathons, triathlons, ultras. Uh, was that kind of the, the, your early experimentation of, with fitness and outdoors and, and uh, you know, trying to find the limits? Well, yeah, as our travels became more physically demanding, we needed to get more fit for, for the adventures that we wanted to go. And yeah, running, of course, is one of the good ways how you can get fit for that. So yeah, I think we picked up running. And then, of course, you run 5K race, 10K race, half marathon, marathon, and you always like after feel great and you kind of start to look forward to what else can your body do. Yeah. And it yeah. becomes addictive. But I had a totally different reason for starting running because I guess it was it turns out Coyote, I like- was because was Coyote was chasing you? No, the other way around, I guess. I'm not sure it was the beginning of our relationship was really awkward, but basically he didn't want to date me. So I started running out of anger because maybe subconsciously, but maybe because he told me uh, I thought I was a fat. So I started definitely to run because of some confidence issues maybe. And then when we did eventually get together, we started running more together and then we started, yeah pushing pushing our limits more and more it was kind of like fun thing to do yeah we did a lot of like races not ever winning anything but just you know for the atmosphere of of races coyote i have to tell you that that that's that technique usually doesn't work with with women (laughs) we have different rules in eastern europe you know (laughs) all right and so you you guys have you've run all different distances have you stopped at marathon have you gone past marathon yeah, both of us. Actually, my first 
ultra you can say or distance longer than marathon was right after the PCP, like a week or so after I had signed up for the in on Olympic Island in Washington, Peninsula. On Olympic Peninsula. There was the mm-hmm. first ever ultra marathon was fifty kilometers, and uh, yeah, and then I just she without any really training good. just uh, <laughs> went there and yeah, actually did pretty good. We actually had both signed up for it, but oh, yeah. I got. Uh, do you say bitten by a tick? Mm. Bitten, right? That's correct. Um, yeah, I got t- ticked, <laughs> tricked by a tick. Uh, so I had uh, Rocky Mountain Spotted Disease. If you want, you can Google that. But Ooh. yeah, so I basically, Deadly. it can be, <laughs> yes. So I was laying bed while Chris went to run. And I think the reason why we uh, wanted to try an ultra right after PCT is just to see how the fitness translates. And of course, we were listening to a podcast where David Goggins uh, was saying, just go and do it. Go and do the things that scare you. So, yeah, but I couldn't do it that time. So, unfortunately, good advice. And I imagine you had to be in pretty good shape after the PCT coyote. So you uh, felt yeah, pretty good on that ultra. There was no running shape but <clears throat> because there were a bit of uphills. So like I could hike faster than every runner was running. So in that sense, it translated pretty well. Yeah, you were like third or something. Fourth overall, yeah. Fourth, third. third. Well, there were that many people, but still, yeah. And and just to show off, did you run it in your pack? (laughs) (laughs) Actually, another funny thing was um, by the end of the trail, we were super broke. And I think Chris had like $200 left on his account. And then he went to REI and bought like all new running things because like all of our gear was totally wasted. And he like, yeah, spent all of his money on running things just to go into this race. So that's dedication. Yeah. Sorry, Snake Eyes. No, there's no money left for medication for Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever. You're on your own. Well, insurance luckily paid that. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's not our fault. Your medical system is so expensive. Oh, there we go. Nice. <laughs> All right. Hey, and uh, you mentioned that um, there was a trip that was particularly meaningful for both of you early on. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Is that the, uh, yeah. the, the King's Trail? Yeah. So it wasn't, it was, um, it's actually a long distance trail that is in Sweden. I think in total, it's about 400 plus kilometers. But because we went to do it in March, I believe, which is winter, and we wanted to do it in skis. So it's quite popular in the Scandinavian countries to, it's kind of not ski touring, it's more like backcountry skiing. So you don't really use skins and things, and the skis are slightly thinner. And you, mm-hmm. don't, you don't really downhill ski afterwards, because all of it is just flat and then a few low like there are mountain, mountain passes. passes. But it's right, cross yeah, they're low. Cross-country skiing. Yes. Kind of. You don't do the specific skiing sky. It's more like walking on skis. Okay. And uh, the funny thing about it was, it was my idea. And Chris had never, ever, ever been on cross-country skis. So literally on day one, we put the 30 kilo sleigh behind him, skis under under him and like go that way. (laughs) (laughs) And he struggled a lot for the first, um, I don't know, a few hours, but he picks up things really, really fast. Whereas for me in my country, we always, um, we all as kids already learn to ski because we have, even that's weird actually, because in Latvia also they have good winters, 
But yeah, for some reason, skiing, like skiing is our skiing, national but, sport here. So yeah, Coyote it's spent the, his time. He spent his time in his neighbor's gardens. He wasn't skiing. So yeah. <laughs> true, true. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah, I, like uh, first first day, I remember I hated it, and because that sleigh, like you move and it pulls you back, and sometimes on a small downhill, like when you stop, the sleigh doesn't, so like it pushes you over, and I wasn't having fun. Stina was like, you want us just, let's go back, give the skis. And I was like, no. And <laughs> then somehow by day two, I was like, oh, it's actually fun because we get to, yeah, you get to stay in these huts and there is sauna and like, yeah, you don't need to actually carry that much. Yeah, there, it's just the nature there in the winter. You're totally out. There's no phone signal, no electricity, nothing. You have to, in the huts also, no one like helps you. You have to cut the firewood. Hands. You have to bring the water from under the ice. And yeah, it's just you're fully on your own. And I think already like day four, there was a massive, massive storm. Like you could hear the wind howling. And the whole night I couldn't sleep. And I was like, visibility yeah, nothing. <laughs> the whole night I was absolutely sure that we are not moving the next day because it would just, you know, walk to your death, basically. And then in the morning we wake up and Chris was like, what do you mean we're not going out? Of course we're going out. <laughs> so he was totally insane. Like we had never done anything like that. And we didn't have, I mean, we've grown up with having winters, but to be in the backcountry like that without any, you know, we didn't have any SOS device. That wasn't even a thing back then. So. Now looking back, it maybe wasn't a smart move, <laughs> but like, I don't know, it, at that point it looked like, seemed like a good idea. And we survived mm -hmm. Actually, Somehow. the day before it was already got stormy and we were just going with this sleigh and skis and there were two Swedish guys ahead of us and they kind of stopped and like were looking around, kind of thinking and we just went by, like said hi and then later in the next cut and then once we passed them, they we looked back and they continued following us. And then later in the evening, we met in the same hut and they were like, well, we were actually thinking about turning back because it was too stormy. But then we saw that you guys looked so confident that we thought these guys know what they're doing. We'll just follow them. <laughs> we had like no idea. We had never even, I think, done a multi-day hike when we did that. I don't even know why we chose that. I don't think we really knew the risks when we were going to there, but we like just pushed so many boundaries that we didn't even know like could be pushed or well, like that. I don't know. It's just the, it crazy. Uh, right after we had the toughest ice, like obstacle challenge, which is like made out of ice obstacles, and in the end you jump in the in the ice lake. Yeah, it's like the American. You have what are they called? Tough mother or something? No, the Spartan. Spartan. Yeah, Spartan maybe Spartan races. races. Mm -hmm. Yeah, kind of like that, but it was on made out of ice. <laughs> yeah, it was on a ice covered lake, and in the very last one, yeah, you had to jump in the water. So. So that. Ski trip was to prepare for that. <laughs> <laughs> we just impulsively signed up for these things and did it. And then after that, you're like, all right, what's next? Oh, there's a lot to unpack right there. I, ha I have questions. <laughs> I have questions. Number one is I want to point out that, you know, a phrase in America, I'm not sure if it, if it translates to Estonia and, and Latvia, but we, we have this phrase called that says ignorance is bliss. You know, if you, if you don't, if you don't, you don't know what you don't know, then, you know, you're happy. And so you're, you guys are out there. And I think that's a good example of, you know, we didn't know what we were getting into and thought, Hey, we're, in fact, you convinced some, some experts out there that uh, the conditions were good enough to keep going. So. Yeah. I remember because uh, we, we rented skis and the sleigh, there's um, like a little depot where you can do that. And the guys were like asking, so how many days do you think you guys will be doing? 
And I estimated our daily distance on, you know, flat ground, which is what I have in Estonia and uh, thin cross-country skis without any backpacks and everything. And I was saying, oh, yeah, we'll do it in five days. And they were like, okay. But at the same time, they could see that we didn't know anything about backcountry skiing. <laughs> but we did, I think, and then do it in five and a half days. But that's purely because of our physical fitness. Or maybe I have to mention that we didn't do that whole 400 kilometers. No, yeah, no, there is like, like a, a section, section which, which ends up at the, by the highest mountain of Sweden, Kemnekaise. So it's like 120 kind of loop. So it's really kind of easy, good intro, and you can do it all year round. But I think in winter, it's more It's fun. very special, yeah. <laughs> well, what was the name of that mountain again? Kemnekaise. Okay. It's the highest mountain in Sweden. 2,000 something meters. Okay. <laughs> And another thing I have to point out is that I, I, I'm, I think I'm considerably older than both of you. And yet you guys are talking about uh, back in the day with no computers and no, <laughs> no Garmin rescue devices. It was like just on the border of when computers came well in our childhood. Like, we still don't have a Garmin or any SOS device. We use what? Garmin watches, but we don't yeah, use any emergency beacons because of the expedition leader training like we pretty much for three months practiced rescue and, and self-rescue self -rescue and how to like so we really rely on ourselves and we think that maybe having a device might give you a false sense of security because you are like instead of like in, a, in a place reason. where yeah you would maybe think like should i go should i not go across some sketchy sketchy area like because of the device you might think oh if something happens i press the button and you know helicopter comes and picks me up and it's all good which is in reality that might not be the case and helicopter might come in three days if it's a big storm so instead you should maybe use your judgment and not get into situations like that so and also yeah we just use rely on each other's knowledge and skill and we also hike or adventure in countries where there isn't any mountain rescue or any helicopters in the whole country so yeah i mean i'm sure some but, response but not, service would still get your your alarm but yeah i'm not knows. saying that you shouldn't use it especially if you hike solo for sure it's like mm -hmm. because you have no one else mm -hmm. to rely on but like we and uh, when we will be guiding now in the mountains with yeah, as guides. Yeah, as guides, sure. we will bring the device. But when we just got two of us, then we rely on ourselves. Right. I hear that if you push the button on the Garmin in Armenia, they send the dogs out to you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> dogs eat you, and then it's no problem. Yeah. Right. Then there's no there's no more problem. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so, what what did you learn from that? That what did you learn about yourselves from that uh, trip um, on the on the King's Trail? Well, yeah, just that. Whoa, it's windy here. <laughs> Just, I guess that um, what you think is your limit is definitely not your limit. And I think we, it was also our first experience to really be in the wilderness and to just be very self-sufficient and how to manage cold better and these kind of things. I, I think like also how to work together. Yeah. And for me, it was I remember the just you saw the nature like I've never seen nature in that way, you know, when it's like stormy and sometimes you like, and you slog through the wind and like your goggles are frozen and you look up and there is like some clearing in the wind and you see these cliffs of the mountains and it felt like you're on some, you know, Europa or somewhere, another planet completely. So it was kind of like brought this 
I don't know, emotion or like feeling that you kind of want to visit again. So then, of course, for the next trips, you again want to visit some places that will maybe give you again this feeling of like being on another planet, even though <laughs> I don't know, it's weird or like, yeah, being away from civilization, I think. And in general, also when we hike the PCT, but we, what I liked the most is just feeling of being out there like being in a well that you know that there is like multiple days to the closest road that like you have to be 100% self self-reliant like i think that's sort of that you know you are in the wild and like every decision you make like it's all you know your life might depend on it so you have to be really like it kind of gives this i don't know how to explain this really feeling of freedom i guess in a sense that uh, you make all the decisions yeah like you are 100 percent responsible for yourself and and there is no rescue and nothing you know that like it's all on you it's kind of i don't know i like it <laughs> nice and so from there where you get where do you guys go what's the next adventure we should talk about well, probably some more uh, shepherd dogs because <laughs> <laughs> we are uh, hopefully now we don't 100% know because of the situation in Europe, but the plan is to go to Tajikistan. There is a big, big trail that this, uh, I think, Belgian guy has come up with. It's uh, totally unofficial. Nothing is marked and the GPX track is not even fully scouted. And we heard that on one section, a few guys almost died last year. And of course, like bridges get washed away and some bits have, haven't been walked for years. So it's called the Pamir Trail. Yeah. So it follows. Uh, How do you spell that? Pamir. P-A-M-I-R. It's the name of the mountain range there. Tajikistan is it just on a map. It looks amazing. I think it's 93% uh, covered in mountains or something like that. And yeah, the trail crosses the whole country and it's about 1,000 kilometers, but nobody knows because no one has ever walked it. So yeah, we'll be, if it happens, it's going to be really, really special, I think. Wow. Like also, well, that's like, now we're going to do it uh, this year, like July, August, but like to go on, trip like that we had to like pretty much since that the king's trail that we did five or six years ago that yeah we've been building experience and every next trail we kind of picked up more challenge so like being more out there less trail more more bushwhack more like we done after the pct like other trails were like yeah the uh, hrp uh Pyrenean high route or how to route the Pyrenees or something like that, which was, it's the highest uh, line that crosses the Pyrenees mountain from Atlantic to Mediterranean. There's like GR10 and GR11, but uh, they stay low. They are marked and they are kind of, yeah, you are on the trail, whereas in, on HRP, you are often without trail and you have to nav more. And uh, yeah, it's just a lot more climbing. It's like just kind of one of the hardest, I think, in, in Europe yeah right and and for our, our for our american listeners if you if you're familiar with the john muir trail or the high sierra trail in the sequoias in california 
uh, that that all that the uh, the high route for the Pyrenees also sounds like the Sierra High Route, which is uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's it's yeah it's a higher route than than the Jarmir Trail, and it's often unmarked, and there's a lot of wayfinding involved with that. So that's that sounds very interesting. You you've done that route before in the Pyrenees? Yeah, we did it two summers ago, I think. The yeah. HRP, yeah. it's just about eight hundred kilometers, but it's just got a lot like of fifty thousand meters. Oh, yeah, well, 50-something 50, 50 thousand meters of up and down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's epic. It's really beautiful. And, and you cross uh, you cross back and forth between Spain and France, yeah, and then you also the cross Andorra. There. So it's a very, you just go through all these different uh, cultures, kind of, because also within Spain itself, you have the Catalonian and like the Basque country. And, and yeah, it's just, it's beautiful. Nice. And then, uh, yeah. No. <laughs> well, like, yeah, like to build up to the Tajikistan. Also, the next kind of big trail we, we picked up was the Transcaucasian Trail, uh, which, yeah, we did the Armenia part of it, which again was, we did it before it was unofficial. So we had to plot our own route. And uh, yeah, again, it's unmarked and there were a lot of shepherd dogs and it's in the mountains. So, yeah, so it's kind of yeah. like every time we, pick up this like experience where we will challenge ourselves on the hike. I'd say there's definitely a pattern to how we choose the trails now. Within the last few years, it just goes from obscure to more obscure. Yeah. So just these like weird trails that aren't even trails, but are more like someone's ideas. Mm. So that's the same with Caucasian Trail. Now it is sort of slowly becoming official because they have uh, founded an NGO. But yeah, when we did it, it it wasn't. Yeah, it's definitely not marked or anything. It's just it was an idea. And the same with Armenia and and now the same with Chile as well. The Greater Patagonian Trail is also it's not a real trail. It's just an idea. Turn the light on quickly because I think it's getting dark. Yeah. <laughs> oh, there, there you guys are. Okay, you just turned yeah, on the light. Like, Coyote turned on the light. It's getting, it's getting dark in Estonia and the, in the sauna. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Have to light it up. Now I have to ask. I mean, how, how are your map and compass skills? Are you doing a lot of using a lot of maps and compass uh, as you are out there on these obscure trails that aren't well defined? Well, we've done the mountain leader. Like we are certified mountain leaders in summer mm-hmm. conditions in UK, <laughs> but uh, also there are other countries that recognize the certificate. But uh, yeah, for that course, you had to like really learn navigation. But on these trails, often like there is no paper maps, for example, yeah, for Chile exist. or Armenia. And it's also inconvenient to carry like a reasonable uh, yeah, scale trip map for like, you know, hundreds of kilometers. If it's 800 kilometers, you'd have to have like a, this many big pile of maps. So we usually use phone these days. And we have a lot of backups because we have the two Garmin watches. So those both can have GPX files and we have two phones and two power banks. So technically we have like four four backups for, for the and We use Gaia tracks. Gaia GPS for for navigation and often we have to actually plot our route there so yeah but okay. to answer your question our map and compass skills are top notch just, just <laughs> okay. because they have to be for for these courses and and we really like it i think if once you learn it you become kind of a nerd and you want to like you feel it feels special it's like instead of using kindle you want to read the book it's the same instead of using the 
phone apps you kind of really like and enjoy using a real map. So okay. also, I, I, was, I was getting, I was getting nervous for you. You, you didn't really uh, answer the question, but now you, you're top notch, top notch map and, and compass skills. So I feel better. I, I feel. Uh, yeah. Well, there you go. Nine out of 10, maybe let's say. <laughs> it can always be better. I'd say it also depends on the map, map quality. So, And it helps in the, on the terrain when there is no trail marked, so you only see elevation lines, so you, have, you can sort of figure out where to go if you don't have a view of the mountain, especially. Because now, let, me a- let me ask you this. Do you have any experience uh, with like extended bushwhacking without map and navigation methods? Uh, that's where yeah. the Zambia trick comes in. <laughs> a Zambia, okay. Let's hear about Zambia. Yeah. So, uh, is this an, another yeah, obscure like, trail? Yeah. Well, we went there. That's for, not definitely not a trail. <laughs> there was no trail. <laughs> so, that's a funny story. So, we were for volunteering for this uh, project in Zambia, which helps uh, young, uh, young people who are poor that want to go to high school, but they can't afford because all education is for money. So they stay a year in that project and improve their English and different different other social skills and and uh, yeah so it prepares them for high school and then get they get sponsorship to go to high school. So we were kind of the facilitators of the project and for six months and then we we like hiking so we obviously there were like there was like a around Christmas the New Year uh, like we had a week or something and we saw on the map. Like we were like, oh, where should, where can we go? Because Google we, map, not a real map. Yeah, Google map. <laughs> so we were in the very north of Zambia by Lake Tanganyika, and north of it, like pretty much on the border of Congo, there is this Nsumbu National Park. And we thought, like, well, it's only 50, 60 kilometers. And you know, on Google Map it just looks like bush. <laughs> there are <laughs> so we, thought, any we can, we can probably go there and kind of yeah, the lake be always on our one side and yeah we just had a compass so we knew knew the direction we want to go and we kind of talked to locals about yeah someone told so you need to go to that village then to that village then to that and like i don't know on the map google maps didn't have any names for the villages but so we could on see. the satellite image you could see small villages like houses yeah. so yeah just literally in every village we would ask how can we get there? And they would say some name of the next village and oh. kind of show a direction or a bush path. Yeah. And then you yeah. go on that path and it splits and you're like, oh, well, <laughs> which way do we go? And then, yeah, sometimes we would get lost and like, yeah, just go without any trail, just through the bush kind of following compass for, yeah. Yeah, more like looking, hours. okay, we know we have to go to east. Let's just keep walking until we cross a path. Because a lot of people still move around in the area. They go and cut trees a lot. So there are just paths. Or I think they were also planting a lot of corn. So there's just like a ton of paths, basically, that you can follow. And most of the time they end up somewhere. So as we were going, making our way towards the National Park, initially we planned to enter through the official entrance, which we know that there is. And then uh, on the way, we gathered information from locals that there's actually another entrance that uh, goes through this chieftainess uh, land that she has an access and actually the park belongs to her and whatnot, and that we can get permit to enter the park from there. 
So they're like, okay, cool. So let's do that. So we show up to this village, found some boy that spoke English. He took us to this uh, chieftainess. She was like very, very old. Like, and she lives on the other side of the river. There's the rest of the villages and that. So like we go there and we bow and say hi and everything and clap. You need to kind of do this <laughs> weird, weird movements. And then she uh, has a lot of power locally. Like it's yeah. kind of still native tribe organization there. Even though, yeah, that's mm. not really valid anymore. So then it was already evening, so we crashed in her uh, in her yard and <laughs> cooked with her on her fire, and then she uh, wrote us this handwritten permit and put some stamps on it, and yeah, we gave her some money and some medicine because yeah, in, in Africa there they really like medicine, so most people like want actually some just painkillers from you because yeah, they're they're just not available, and yeah, so we entered the national park with her permit and we were walking walking about yeah already like next day kind of afternoon and we passed this uh, ranger and he was like doing some work and we're like hey and keep walking he like looks at us completely shocked like <laughs> how are these two white guys here like uh, yeah he completely didn't expect to see us and then he, he asked, was also outside of season i think yeah yeah it was kind of because yeah. there are some tourist lodges in that national park for fishing fishing people. so then yeah we looked up we saw that oh there is a lodge let's go there and it was christmas day and then he like checked our permit and said like i need to check check on this so we were kind of hanging out in a lodge and i already arranged with locals to stay there for the night and had <laughs> enough and then yeah like few hours later a car with rangers come and like the the head of them came and kind of asked like what are we doing here how we got here and they pretty much said that yeah we are detained <laughs> and <laughs> they sort us and out. it was christmas eve and they told us all right guys get on the car we're gonna go to the, to the nearest ranger town. station and basically so, well there was a danger that yeah we would go to jail on on prison evening uh, no <laughs> to prison you, on christmas evening but you had the you had the permit from the chieftainess i mean that's uh, that, that had to count for something right no well, it turned out that uh, that's not how things work anymore in uh, rural Zambia, rural that there are actual laws and actual people who guard the national park. So Yeah, but we got a nice safari ride then yeah, in the elephants. back of the truck and yeah, there were elephants running and we were just, yeah, so and then it all worked out. <laughs> Nice. Yeah. Now, I was going to ask, you know, on the on the PCT, you'll you'll see the occasional bear, deer, marmot, maybe I mean, I'm sure snake eyes saw lots of snakes. What what kinds of what kinds of animal life did you encounter in Zambia? We saw crocodiles. Chris went to uh, <laughs> swim in the because in the Lake Tanganyika there are crocodiles and Against there the were signs <laughs> don't swim there. But Chris is like, well, I'm but dirty I had from snake eyes with me, so I was like, snake eyes, keep an eye, <laughs> keep an eye on crocodiles. Like half an hour later, we did see a crocodile there, and then we saw hippos, like massive, massive yeah. hippos. They're crazy. They're and a bit angry. Wild hogs. Snakes during the hike we didn't see, I think, no. but in before project, that we saw. Yeah, there were some rock African rock python, I think it's called. Yeah, it's like biggest python in the world. Three meter long snake, huge, so powerful. Like mm. when you lift it, it's so dense, like it's just one muscle. Mm. Crazy. Now, Coyote, when you go swimming in crocodile infested waters, you want to have with you crocodile eyes, not snake eyes, because you, you ask <laughs> snake eyes to keep an eye out. That's not that's not her specialty. I think he had crocs, though. So maybe that counts. <laughs> no, it's 
you know, to avoid danger, best is to be aware of it. Like, for example, when we were in the jung- jungle, so like we lived, there were no like facilities or anything. We were literally in our hammocks between two trees and our food was like on the ground in the mud in plastic bags <laughs> and like our backpacks were on the ground. So it was like really, yeah, hardcore. But like my tree was on the first days, the most, the scariest day in the jungle because there's everything. As soon as we entered, there were like snakes and poison dart frogs and spiders and everything. So, uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay so yeah so that's the the first night is the scariest and then uh, my 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 hammock the instructor was like yeah so these two trees are yours and i'm like what are these bugs and the, those were the bullet ants so they have the most painful sting in there and so i had to tie my hammock on the tree which had the bullet ant nest that bullet ants were going on the tree so he was like yeah they're dangerous don't get bitten be aware that they are there but you know it's all fine so you learn really fast that like, yeah, there are things that can kill you, but they are not there to kill you. So like often animals and yeah, other creatures are actually afraid of you. So you just have to be aware of the danger and like, you know, tread, tread carefully because you are a guest there, not, not they, them. So it's just awareness is what keeps you. Yeah, this this is why this is why life is better above the tree line. <laughs> right fewer things fewer things that are going to try and kill me or or have the ability to kill me so well above tree line the nature itself like the weather can become more dangerous than yeah. any animal yeah rockfall yeah crevasses and your own stupid decisions <laughs> become much more consequential i think yeah yes. also in a city it's dangerous because bus can drive over you any any moment but that doesn't Mean okay. you shouldn't go outside. <laughs> okay, that's it. I, I'm not leaving my house. I'm I'm staying where I am. That's what. <laughs> Just lift your face up from the phone, and you'll be fine. Yeah. Yes, that's right. Don't don't be texting or posting on Instagram as you're walking on the trail or off trail. Serious consequences. Yep. All right. This has been great talking about these obscure trails. We don't, we don't hear about these very often on the podcast. So this has been a lot of fun, but I do want to go to the PCT and uh, that 2,600 mile hike, that adventure for you. Um, What were some of the highlights? Do you have any particular favorite moments from the trail? Mm. Like I when you <laughs> when you say favorite, uh, I don't know. It's just uh, one little story popped in my mind. I wouldn't say it's favorite, uh, but it kind of joins up. Before you tell the... me, before you tell me, have you have you guys heard of Type Two Fun? Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, type Two Fun. Type two yeah, fun. so it's favorite. favorite. It's it's not favorite when when it's happening, but it's favorite. You have, like to talk about it. So uh, is that is that what's coming? You have some Type Two Fun to share? No, it was just more of um. It actually joins up with the expedition leader course we did before okay so during the course they taught us that when you scream for help or in general like if you give warnings with loud voice those words that you use should never sound like for example help or sos or i don't know ouch or whatever like if you give loud announcements make like choose your words and then I just, uh, I don't know why, but I just uh, randomly uh, remembered this um, episode, you can say. Uh, I think it was in the desolate wilderness in California, right after Lake Tahoe, 
we were just hiking. It was a beautiful day and there was a river crossing and there were two girls that we met there. I think they were just uh, either on section hike or day hike or something. So Chris and I, we crossed the river. It wasn't like too bad, but I think if you're not experienced with river crossing, then that, you know, could end badly. But they stayed at the river crossing after us, whereas we like continued. And maybe 300 meters or something afterwards, we hear this loud scream that to us sounded like help, but like really loud and you can't hear, you know, the individual words. And we were just like instantly, the instinct kicked in like, fuck, like, okay, this is what we've been practicing for, you know, for the four months in the jungle. And we just instantly turned around and just like started rushing to the river crossing. But it turned out the girls had successfully crossed the river and they, what they yelled was like, yeah, but to us, it sounded like hell. So <laughs> I don't know why I remember this story, but this just, they, so remember, they, guys, they obviously didn't take that expedition training course. Yeah, exactly. So remember when you scream things in the mountains, in sketchy places, don't, don't make them sound like help. So. Also another borderline pro tip right there. Yeah, pretty yeah. much. Yep. Yeah. I don't know, for me, can't, can't pinpoint, like, a specific place, but, like, I think the whole trail experience, just being for five months, living this simple lifestyle of just hiking and, you know, that you know what's the agenda for today, for the next five months, that there is no, like, planning or anything, and the trail is made for hikers, like, the community around it, like, it's just brilliant, it's, like, yeah, if you want to get the best hiking experience just and for for long long distance then definitely i think like pct is just great because it's made for hikers there is all infrastructure everything is the trail is nice it's marked it's easy to navigate like resupply food like it's just it's it's perfect you know and but and never it, i think underestimated but because still like it's it can be really rough and the weather can do all sorts of crazy things and you can just slip on any any rock out there. So, yeah, yeah. it's it's got all the hallmarks of a great adventure, I would say, but made made approachable, I think. So, well, yeah, very difficult to well, pinpoint. Every mm-hmm. single day I was like, okay, guys, this is my favorite section for <laughs> sure. And then like the next day I would say the same thing. So. It's yeah. absolutely impossible to say. It's well, great overruns. Quite an achievement to hike the PCT, 2,600 miles from Mexico to Canada. Congratulations on that. Congratulations on, on all of these other obscure adventures that you guys have embarked upon. And they mentioned half of them. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, only half of them. You have a long list. And I uh, want to wish you the best of luck in uh, July and August on the Pamir Trail. Pamir Trail, yeah. Yeah. Pamir Trail. So uh, hoping that when you finish with that, you'll get back in touch and we can we can hear an episode about how that went, because that sounds like a, a pretty epic experience waiting for you. Yeah, just finger crossed that it actually happened. So yes. we'll see. Okay. Now, you talked about your, your expedition company organization earlier, but you didn't give it a name. What, what is the name of it? <laughs> so it's called Nakid Metsa, which loosely translates to women to the forest. Um, it's kind of has this folk, folk word um, for mermaid in the name. And it's, um, 
yeah, it seems like everyone really ni- likes the name. And it was definitely a very unexpected success. When, when me and my girlfriends first came up with it or started it, we thought, okay, let's do two hikes and then that's it. Like, who else wants to go to the forest with us? You know, we are nothing special. But the uh, first year was really, really successful. I think we did 14 hikes. Each of them is just with a small group of 10 10 girls and um, yeah this year we have already planned uh, three hikes abroad as well so it will not only be women to the forest but also women to the mountains so yeah and a bunch of hikes of course here in Estonia and if if any of our listeners wanted to get in touch with you and uh, be part of that be part of an expedition that you're leading how would they get in touch uh, I'd say social media is probably the best or email. Um, we can actually connect this one a bit to the Tajikistan uh, hike because maybe you want to talk about it. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's not on the, the Tajikistan. They're actually inviting people to join us on this expedition. So it's not only for women, it's for in- anyone who wants. And uh, yeah, we can send the link so you can add, add it somewhere. But uh, yeah, you can join on us on the first section of it for like 10, 11 days and then on the second or on the second bit for like a week. Or you can join for a two month expedition and do the whole thing together with us. So like the idea is that uh, we will yeah, keep you safe. This time. We'll yeah. keep you alive because like yeah, we have uh, plenty of experience in that field and it will be, I think, interesting for someone to that yeah, wants to discover these wild places and you know, go where not many people have gone, then that's a, that's a good chance to, to do yeah. it. Yeah, and I yeah. think for a lot of people also, the language can be a huge issue in those countries, but luckily we have our translator here <laughs> who can communicate uh, well, with other people from former, former Soviet countries. So that's another bonus. Yeah, yeah I speak I have Russian. No... So... You speak Russian. Yeah, so in Tajikistan, yeah, People from in Soviet countries from 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 the, from east they they speak Russian mostly. That's how in Armenia we also could communicate pretty well with locals. So it's a yeah, it's a big advantage. It's an advantage. Yeah. yeah. If you're listening and, and you're considering joining, have no fears. Uh, Coyote speaks Russian. He fights off shepherd dogs with his hiking poles, and they are both top-notch navigators. <laughs> totally correct points. Yes. <laughs> All right. The pro tip insight of the week. Hey, uh, Snake Eyes and Coyote, do you know where we are right now? Uh, We are still in sauna, so I'm not (laughs) sure where you are. (laughs) We have to give tips. (laughs) That's right. We're we're at that time of the episode where I ask you for your pro tip inside of the week. What bit of trail wisdom can you share with our listeners to make their next outdoor experience even better? And you say you're still in the sauna. You guys aren't even sweating, which is really impressive. So good, good work there. You guys are getting cold, bothered. actually. We haven't even bothered to make the fire yet. So. <laughs> okay, sauna so let's, in the late evening. Let's have a let's have a pro tip from each of you. You want to go first? No, you go. Well, my pro tip would maybe be yeah that uh, don't overthink it. Like uh, just because often when you read. Uh, some people are listen to to some 
someone's experience of how they prepared for the trail and planned every single detail and everything it just feels like yeah and central supply packages waste of time and, and nerves so but it's like easy to say you know hard to do because if you don't have experience then like you think yeah that you will not survive if you if you don't plan everything out but yeah over and over again from every single time it has proven that like just don't really plan but don't plan too much like just have an idea and just go with the flow sort of arrive and see because that's sort of will you will be less stressed and uh, trail will provide trail, also. trail will always provide so just more about your attitude of being positive and just yeah enjoying concentrate put your effort in not trying to make some deadlines or stick to the plan but just enjoy more and whatever happens happens and you will have a blast and yeah Okay. That's my pro tip. Don't plan. Well well said, Coyote. Don't 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 plan. plan. You know that comment I made about if they want to join you on the on the trail, I'm starting to rethink that. So no, just kidding. No, that's when we are giving a (laughs) bit more plan. If you go on your own, don't plan. If you take clients, then plan. Okay. All right. How about you? How about you, Snake Eyes? Um, I think my pro tip would be to always take a smaller bag than you think you can fit in. So, because I feel what I've learned over the years that that us humans, we have a tendency to fill every empty corner that we see, whether it's a box or bag or a car or whatever it is. So just take a smaller bag and really consider everything you put in there. So... Yeah, very simple, but I think long term it's useful. Very wise. For people with big, uh, with feet problem, wear bigger shoes. That's <laughs> that was the biggest thing we learned on the PCT because we always, all our lives, we would wear. If your foot is size forty five or US ten, whatever, then you wear the shoe that fits your foot. You know, toe is touching. So, turns out that's not not how you should it's wear nice. your shoes. So ever since then, we've always been buying shoes like size two sizes bigger sometimes even three sizes bigger and you know back in before it felt like weird but now it's like yeah it's normal that's how that's how you should size your shoes <laughs> bigger coyote i think that is one of my favorite pro tips ever wear bigger shoes <laughs> solid <laughs> gonna again save yourself so so a lot of problems yeah All right. So there you have it. That's it. This episode is just about in the books. Hope our listeners enjoyed our time with Stina and Christian. I want to thank them for joining us this week. Guys, how can our listeners keep up with you on social media and where can they find updates on your latest adventures? I think Instagram is the best because that's the one we update the most. Our, uh, I guess you call it handle, is um, small footprint underline big adventures. So that kind of um how do you say explains our attitude so just do everything on foot if you can or by bicycle small foot but big shoe and big adventure (laughs) maybe we should change our yes yes remember to check out the pod on social media as well we're on facebook youtube instagram twitter and tiktok do you guys have a tiktok yet no, it's oh. too addictive. I had to uninstall yeah. it. <laughs> they have YouTube, actually. You have YouTube? Okay. Yeah, hopefully there will come some updates from the Armenia hike and also from the hike in Chile, but 
it it takes a lot of time to yeah. work on the videos and also on everything else. So. And we lost some videos from Chile, unfortunately. Mm. But you can see the Zambian hike there and mm-hmm. the HRP okay. filmed. So if Great. anyone wants to know more about us. Do you have any good footage of the shepherd dogs attacking? Definitely. Okay, good, yeah. good. DCT movie is still coming, actually. But right. there is footage, that's what yes. Yeah. Okay. Also, if you have comments or clips you want to share, you can send it to me at johnfreakymir at gmail.com. The Adventure Media Recommendation. Guys, I'm also looking to you to share a recommendation for a book, a movie, documentary, some kind of adventure media to keep our listeners connected to the trail. We call this our adventure media recommendation. What do you have for us? Uh, I think for me, but probably for both of us, uh, mm-hmm. one and only, it's the Rich Roll podcast. And it's not only because we like to do vegan propaganda, but he just has so many great uh, guests from everyone from uh, science and medicine to ultra endurance athletes, long distance hikers, writers, psychologists. It's just such a variety of information. And it's a, it's a thrill to listen to on trail or on long runs. Once, you know, after a month of hiking, your brain just runs dry of all the new thoughts. So you need a little bit of inspiration for things to think about. So Ritual Podcast is, is amazing. Okay. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. What have we not asked you? And yep. before we wrap things up, I've got one more segment for you called, What Have I Not Asked You That You're Dying to Tell Us About? What did we miss? We are building a van or new home for us. So, second van actually second van yeah so we lived in a van or yeah ever since we quit our jobs and sold everything like we kind of have yeah, been homeless but then we built a van so we've been on and off in the van and then we sold it and now we are building a new one so yeah that's uh so we don't have to live in uh Stina's dad's sauna we are <laughs> fixing that issue yeah nice but is we it a, still is spend it a bigger van half a year in a tent sorry is it a bigger van than the previous one? Yeah. Yeah. A little bit. Okay. And Stina, I cut you off. What did, what were you saying? I don't remember. <laughs> uh, something, something. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, that is a wrap from the John freaking mirror studio. Any shout outs to friends and family? Friends and family. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Just a shout out to Chris. He's the best adventure partner. So, yeah. Recommendation. Another pro tip is find someone to adventure with because shared shared experiences and memories are really, really important. Bonus pro tip right there. That's an extra one. Thank you. It's for free. For free. You can shout out Tom from Germany. Yes. <laughs> Our PC and also buddy. Marcus from Germany. <laughs> Marcus. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Thank you for tuning in. Always remember the trail is the trail. It doesn't care if you want to go downhill. It doesn't care if it's almost dark and you're looking for a campsite. It doesn't even care if you broke your hiking pool, fighting off shepherd dogs in Armenia. The trail is the trail. Embrace the suck.